Okay, here we go. Episode five. Woohoo! Keep us updated on Twitter with what you think of the show. We're at LWYD underscore UOB. Uh, this episode, we're talking to Dr. Humphrey Bourne about management and what that has to do with cows, uh, how he started his PhD, um, what exactly is strategy and strategic management, and why does he teach management and not business? Listen, learn, enjoy. God, that sounds like it should go on a pillow. <laughs> Okay, so my name is Humphrey Bourne. Uh Um, I'm a senior lecturer in management in the School of Economics, Finance and Management, Uh shortly to be broken into three separate schools. Uh, So as of this time next year, I'll be in the School of Management. And so we all got sort of that same. Uh, So that's me, but I'm also faculty education director. I always struggle to get this right. Faculty education (laughs) director for postgraduate taught students in the Faculty of Social Sciences and Law. Oh, wow. Um, In terms of management, I teach strategy. It's my subject area, which is an interesting subject, I find, and I'll probably talk quite a lot more about it. Um, (laughs) One of the things I I say tongue-in-cheek to students is that uh, when everybody wants to say something is important, they tend to put strategic in front of it. Right, okay. This is a strategic issue, this is it. So I said my colleagues teach management, I teach important management. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not sure if the joke gets across all the time. Anyway, um, so I do that, and then my research... When I get time, the last few years, I've really had a reduction in research time, which is is around values in organisations. Okay. And uh, a little bit around organisational identity associated with that inner strategy thing. So there's a little bit of a psychology connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's a bit of background. Interesting. So what what first got you into management? It took a while. Um, (laughs) When I was young... I was dead keen on cows, um, <laughs> and so I did agriculture mm-hmm. at university. I left and went uh, and worked on farms, thinking I'd go into farm management or something mm-hmm. else like that. Um, always wanting to, ever since I was about four years old, apparently, I've been dead keen on being anywhere near cows. So, that's oh. so I, was, I, was, I was doing that. But it took me a while working on a a big farm down in Sussex that um, I didn't actually want to do farm management because farm management, you're a bit stuck between the, the owner and the farm, which is quite a lesson in management, I suppose. Mm. And I couldn't really see how it would turn into a lifelong career. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And about that time, I got quite interested in working in the agricultural supply industry, so animal feeds and that sort of yeah, thing, yeah. seeds. And so I got myself a job doing that, selling Okay. And spent two or three years selling stuff, which I found relatively easy to do, but not that much excitement in doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm not as natural salesperson in terms of the buzz for salespeople is to um, get the sale. Get yeah, yeah. And I'd get a sale. I think oh, I've got a sale. Um, <laughs> but then I got promoted, and I started looking after a small team of salespeople. Mm-hmm. And and it was one of the relevations in life is that. When one of my team got a sale, mm-hmm. I got much more excited than when I got a sale. That's nice. Which was an interesting lesson to me about what makes me tick. Yeah. Um, so if I've been able to help the people to develop their skills, develop what they're doing and all this, and then they got a success, I was really excited yeah, by that. Yeah. But if I went out and did it myself, I wasn't particularly excited. <laughs> so, So I sort of... Use that a little bit. Anyway, I, I then went on through different levels of management in this organisation uh, to the point when I was sort of responsible for about 80 people in a big regional sort of. Um, and then I um, fell out with my bosses. <laughs> 
And what I worked out later on is that I fell out because I had a different vision about where we should be going as an organisation and where they did. And, mm-hmm. and, and basically, once they saw you as not part of them, yeah. um, the divide took it and I got... Anyway, so I left and I... Um, I spent a bit of time just doing not very much travelling, I spent, which I hadn't okay. done earlier on. So yeah, I went yeah. and did my travelling. And, and while I was doing that, I sort of decided I'd um, go back to university and do an MBA. Mm-hmm. And it was when I was doing the MBA that I began to put the, the excitement of actually understanding theory and how we're understanding the subject of management and organising and so on against my years of experience of yeah, it yeah. and it was constant revel- you know oh that's why that was never going to work you know <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. why that was going to work you sort of put you doing it after an experience you sort of put a lot of meaning onto things that I don't think I could have done otherwise and I, I lo- absolutely loved learning and yeah. just being in um, and I don't know whether you're finding this but as a mature, mature student it's a completely different world it's a bit yeah. what you said in your preamble is that just the joy of learning new stuff, of mm-hmm. reading things that you haven't yeah, yeah. read before, of being stimulated, of finding things that just, ooh, um, was, was something that just really attracted me. And then um, I was fortunate because this was a city university in London, mm-hmm. uh, and the business school there were looking to appoint teaching fellows at the end of it, uh, okay. and I applied and got one of the teaching fellow jobs. Oh, brilliant. So I came out of the MBA and then immediately started teaching oh, brilliant. Yeah, MBA yeah. students coming through after me, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and undergraduates and so on. So I started teaching quite widely there. Um, and I just, uh, that felt to me like the perfect sort of combination of that thing right at the beginning of, of getting my buzz, as it were, yeah, out yeah. of seeing other people get their buzz yeah, yeah. and then being involved in that as my job yeah. in large scale, together with the other part of my job, which is just to keep on learning. Yeah. You know, being paid to keep on learning (laughs) and writing about it and doing things about it but yes but I mean essentially to keep on so yes it just just worked really well and so it came out of teaching that I worked out what I wanted to do and um, I was teaching this group of, of, of students who come from different backgrounds had students who were specializing in marketing students who were specializing in ops management students who are specialising in public sector management mm-hmm. and so on. And when I was working with them and we were doing case study work and things, I was of, and, and I had them working in their, their subject groups, is I realised that there was really quite big differences in how they saw the world. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it was associated with the, the perspective of their, their chosen specialisation, yeah, yeah. as yeah. it were. And, and the bit that struck me as being the, the, the reason for it is that those specialisations had embedded with them different values. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the values of public sector management were different from the values of marketing management, mm-hmm. were different from the values of ops management and so on. And I couldn't find very much that helped me to explain that. And so that became a proposal for me to study to do my PhD. I went up to an open day at Cranfield University, which has got a really good school of management. Okay. Um, it doesn't do very many things, but what it does, so it's a very odd, it's postgraduate only university. Oh, wow. It does some very particular engineering work, mm-hmm. particularly around air safety and things like that. Okay. It does management, it does a couple of other things that it gets involved in. Anyway, it's quite, a, but I went up there for an open day and I just, like the, 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 what I was hearing. Yeah. But the open day, you know, there was a buffet lunch and, and it was, they'd been organised, like, meet, meet the professors and sort of okay, things like yeah, that. Yeah. And there was a very English sort of episode is that I had my buffet and I was reaching out for a sandwich at the same time as this professor was reaching out for a sandwich. <laughs> and we said, sorry, after you, no, after you. And that was the beginning of a conversation <laughs> that, that, that turned out that, that he said, oh, what are you interested in doing? So I explained to him, oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we then started talking to each other a bit more okay, and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. And he said, send me your proposal when you've written one. And all. So I sent him my draft and he mm-hmm. commented on it and then I rewrote it and, and then I got offered a, post, a bursary at Cranfield and he was my supervisor. Oh, brilliant. And I still do work with him now. We, oh. We're still researching together and that was just a oh, nice okay. little serendipity or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, so I spent three and a half years at Cranfield just, and again, what joy. Um, this time I'm just being, I'm not being paid much, I got enough to live on. Yeah. Perfectly all right. Um, and all I got to do is learn. 
amazing. <laughs> learn stuff, read stuff, get involved in yeah, stuff, yeah. debate with my colleagues, think about things, puzzle. Yeah. And within that, there were frustrating times. There was times when the puzzle was so difficult that you couldn't work out, and that could yeah, go yeah. on in a PhD for months, yeah. where every day you're working out and say, I'm still struggling with this and I can't seem... But then you do. Yeah. Then you find your way through, and then so it's like a door open and whoosh, go through, and you're <laughs> into the next stage. And wow. And then it's sort of waking up, yes, I can hardly get downstairs quick enough to get starting it again, and I'm still there at midnight or whatever it is, but I really ought to be going back to get more sleep. And you just get <laughs> so involved in what you're doing, and I just love doing that. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, um, you give up a few things, but the sort of things you give up, I mean, if you do an MBA at somewhere like uh, CAS or whatever, uh, you can theoretically go on and earn big bucks, but yeah. again, that's a bit related to getting the sale, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if somebody wants to give me a thousand pounds for doing something, I'm not going to argue, but it doesn't really give me that sort of buzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if that, that's not all it comes down to, right? Yeah. It's not just about the money, it is about doing something you love and that gets you, that gives yes. you that passion. Yes. And, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if you had to. Get uh, this. We've probably covered this, but if you had to get someone excited about what you do, you've got me excited just by telling me about how much you love it. But um, how would you describe it? How would you summarise your role? How would you? Yeah, I looked at that question. That was by far the most difficult question to answer because <laughs> I couldn't think of how I would do it without actually just starting to talk about it. Yeah, and it would be a little bit of the different audience. So quite a lot of the time. Um, you know, in my life, I'm talking to people who've got no idea what world goes on inside a university. Of course, yeah. And yeah. if I, if that's the sort of person I'm talking to, and particularly say that they're somebody who's who works in an organisation, mm. then what I actually do to get them excited about what I'm doing is to find out what they're doing. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then to be able to use that as sort of a couple of things is usually. It doesn't take too long, and perhaps that almost goes back to my old sales days, but it doesn't take too long to be able to understand a picture of what their world might look like mm-hmm. by asking a few questions, getting people to talk, and then listening to what they've got to say, and yeah, so yeah. on. Um, but then through the sort of questions that I ask, I can um, quite often get people to think that I understand their business sort of okay. quite unusually. Yeah. And... and that would be my lead-in, okay. as it were, yes, um, you know, but we get talking about that, and so, yeah, that's what I talk about, that's what I do at work, okay, that sort yeah, of yeah. things, and, and I have some, you know, some theory, lots of theory that yeah, I yeah. picked up on things, and, and by understanding their worlds through my theoretical lenses and so mm-hmm. on, sometimes that will give me some insights uh, that will, you know, be very similar to the, or hone in quite quickly onto the sort of challenges that they're facing at the moment, whatever yeah. it is, and then we're having a chat. Yeah, yeah. And you do that all the time? Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. So you sort of, that's the way. Gotcha. Within the university, I get also with people who know about it, it often depends on what discipline, because mm. um, management doesn't have a very, um, it's not sort of, there's a lot of more exciting topic areas, subject areas <laughs> in the world. And so, you know, management itself... Mm. I'm slightly more fortunate because within management, strategy is something that, oh, that's a bit more, you know, you yeah, could yeah. Bit somebody maybe relate to it. But, 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 but for good reason, quite often, there's this sort of slight antithesis towards management, you know, management speak, management... Yeah. Managerialism, new project, yeah. all these sort of things that are quite negative about management which I tend to agree with, um, yeah. uh, which is what, you know, one of the reasons why I haven't really said, when I came to Bristol after my PhD, yeah. looking for jobs, Bristol, little tiny management research centre, I was mm. number five, fifth academic person mm. recruited to that, we just, they just approved a master's degree and they needed to get staff to be able okay. to teach on that. We're now about 80 or 90 in the management. I was going to say, it's a big department. Yeah. yeah, so to see it grow from that. But the bit that, and then when I came, I thought, you know, oh, a couple of years here, and then I'll move on to a big place. In this. But the thing I really liked about, right from the very beginning at Bristol, was that Bristol's take on management is quite sceptical to begin with. Okay. So we're not actually sort of, a lot of business schools will just absorb the notion of, the, the assumption that that this thing called management is good. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. go from there. Mm-hmm. Whereas at Bristol, uh, I found and I really liked, is it 
good or what bit or how yeah, can we yeah. how you know it's actually a much more critical approach to this subject that's really interesting and i felt much more at home mm-hmm. and being in that although my background wasn't particularly from a critical it wasn't at all from yeah. a critical perspective but i actually found it much more comfortable to be in place which is Mm. Have a has a critical skeptical lens on the topic area and subject matter yeah, and so on, yeah. than one that sort of tends to just accept it as as good to begin with. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. I like that because I think we've all got ideas of when you say management, you're saying these negative stereotypes. Yes. Which everyone has yes. an idea of like a manager or a company they've worked for yes, where they've been exactly. like exactly. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's really interesting that you're questioning it and being like maybe. It isn't right. Maybe it does need to be switched up a bit or changed. Or There's a big difference between this thing called management mm-hmm. and this notion that whenever you have any form of organisation, there will become or there will develop some need to organise. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's about organising, mm-hmm. maybe managing, so yeah, verbs yeah. rather than nouns, and then exploring different ways one might be able to go about mm. doing that, which uh, have different perspective not just this sort of manager is top-down perspective yeah, but yeah, also right. thinking of it from the point of view of other all other perspectives yeah, and so yeah. on. what what is a sensible way and i got some there's some questions coming up later on so i won't go overboard on that just now but, That's okay. uh, <laughs> but yeah so 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 exploring and it's and then mm. within my particular subject area strategy it's been I mean, I find it quite a fascinating thing, but I'll let, oh, I don't know what the next question is. Well, the next one was, uh, why do you love teaching and studying management? But tell us about strategy, because I don't yeah. know what that means. I mean, I, I know the word, but I don't know in terms of management or business what, what strategy is. No. So are you able to summarise it in a, in a podcast? <laughs> it might be useful so for lectures. In, but... in, 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 in the first lecture on my, I do a third year undergraduate unit on strategy. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of that first lecture is what is strategy. Mm-hmm. And we actually spend the first week concluding that it's, that it's very difficult to put a fix on it. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but trying to get to a definition and so on. Mm. And, and so part of what I do is to go through some of these definitions, and some of them are very formulaic and sort of regular. But mm. the one I keep on coming back to, um, because I, I sort of like it, is, is, is strategy is the design um, of a desired future and the effective means of bringing it about. Okay. So it's about sort of what are you trying to get to mm. and how might you try and get to what you get to. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So that's got, that's very nice and loose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the, some of them are really tight definitions. It's about analysis of this and that and that in order to make decisions about yeah. this and the other. And I don't particularly like that idea. And, 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 and then, and so the, the, if you look at the source of theory, a lot of it comes from economics mm-hmm. um, and studies of, Big, day, big samples of, of, of mainly U.S. organizations mm-hmm. that have um, that are working in a very free market, relatively free market mm-hmm. context. And being economists, they've looked at relatively big data sets to mm-hmm. see that there are certain trends and patterns and things from which they have deduced certain elements around how you might design that desired future and bring it about effectively. Yeah. It tends to be rather formulaic mm-hmm. and very much economics driven. Okay. So you got that foundation in there. But there was a maverick when I was first learning strategy, a guy <laughs> called Henry Mintzberg, who challenged this sort of formulaic thing, wrote a brilliant book, which I, when I'm reading, I just pure joy reading it, The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning, published in 1994. And, and, and what it what it was doing was basically pinpricking this idea that you can plan the future in such mm-hmm. a regulated way. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the idea up until then is being, you know, there's very clear decisions you have to make, and mm. it was a combination of, 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 of this sort of economics thing and then a bit of engineering thrown in, you mm. know, so that you make decision trees and stuff to come to your end point. Uh, and he's pointing out that the world is moving on while this is happening. So as you make these decisions, of course, the context. And so I prefer a different idea of what you're trying to do. Is it that you've got this thing, however you define it and however blurry its edges are, which is your the organisation that you have in mind, mm-hmm. and it is operating within 
a context of what we might call an environment, mm -hmm. which is also quite blurry and forever changing. Yeah. So you've got a changing organization inside a changing context yeah, yeah. in which you're trying to muddle your way through to get some sort of point direction. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and I rather like that bit. That's why I find it a fascinating subject and so on, because my understanding of it is that essentially what you're trying to do is to, to navigate mm. a way through. Uh, so, you know, the spinning plates things they used to do in variety yeah. shows. Yeah? yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like that. You know, you've got something spinning and something spinning and something yeah, spinning yeah. and it's all going spinning and, and it's happening on around you. And you, you're sort of trying to to make keep up all those things spinning while going somewhere. Yeah. And and so we can learn from models and mm -hmm. theories and ideas that that will help us to take a snapshot of mm -hmm. something now and say, yeah, we can make some, you know, relatively intelligent conclusions about what's happening if we take yeah, that yeah. snapshot. And there are some principles that we can work with that we can make some relatively intelligent things that we can do. But then we've got to try and do it. So it's this combination of actually trying to link the buffeting of daily life Mm. with uh, the, the the shorter term mm. future and the longer term future and so on, all of which are filled with uncertainties and you don't know yeah. what are going to happen. So so somehow it's navigating your way through with that. Yeah. And to me, that's joy because it's totally messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's more around... So so there's lots you can learn from, from the research that's doing um, and the direction the research is going in, which is much more about... It used to be all about concepts you know mm -hmm. theoretical concepts things like that um and it's it, it, it is much more about processes and practices now mm -hmm. so it's the big focus particularly in europe rather than the states where they're still fairly rooted to the economic model is um is that you can learn an awful lot about uh, more about strategy really from thinking about how people do it and mm -hmm. working out and understanding how people do it yeah, yeah. um which is often very different from this notion, managerialist influenced, of the chief executive makes the decisions and everybody else does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because strategic ideas come from everywhere. Yeah. Third-year undergraduates, um, they the way I contextualise this is that I teach a course that starts in end of January, mm -hmm. and they got four or five months before they're out of university and into mm -hmm. the world. And also, the relatively little organisation experience mm -hmm. by the time you've, you know, yeah, third you know what a school looks like, you know yeah. what a university looks like, you know what a family looks like. Yeah. Beyond that, there's intermittent bits of organisational knowledge, but not much more mm -hmm. than that. So I can hook into those bits of understanding, but also say, well, you're going to be going out into that job that you might have already got, or you're going to get, or whatever mm -hmm. it is, and then you are, you know, one of a number of people working in an organisation. Yeah. So my ambition for this course is, is to deal with what we need to do in terms of learning objectives of this subject area, yeah. but much more importantly is to develop your skills about being a strategic thinker mm -hmm. so that when you're out in that world, you, you're looking from word go yeah. strategically in that world yeah, rather than... So it's a bit about horizons, you know, lifting yeah. your mind up to not just the little context of where I am, but what does it look like if I look at it from now? What does it yeah. look like? What's the world doing to this place I'm in? And what's this place doing to the world it's in? And yeah. how do the two relate to each other? And and then, when I do get something that I can see I need to do, how do I actually make that happen? Yeah, yeah. When i got no power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you know... And so we, we play around with how can you get things onto agendas mm. and this sort of thing when you haven't got that power. So it's yeah. networking and, yeah. uh, and so, so that's part of being a strategist. Okay. But the history of strategy mm. is more recent than the history of management, which is much more recent than the history of medicine or whatever it okay, is, you yeah, know, yeah. way, way, way more recent. Yeah, yeah. So the first strategy course is about 100 years old. Harvard mm. University started doing something which was based on casework. Okay. So similar to the way that lawyers or medics would work, mm -hmm. medical school, law school, Harvard, then the business school, you look at cases and you instill through students the repeat doing case after case after case, yeah. an understanding of how the world works so that when you see something similar, you knew what happened in the case. And so yeah, yeah. Organisations have been going on an awful lot longer yeah. than this concept of management of or this concept yeah, of strategy. Yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, if you take a nice idealised version of the old world, Poldark would be a good example of it. Okay, yep. Where you've got this sort of passionately engaged owner of a business who yes. is there every day and this sort of mm -hmm. thing. And you compare that now where the owner of the business don't even know they own the business. Yeah because it's part of their pension pot or it's something yeah, else yeah, and you've got cool. all of these people in between. Yeah. So you, you, you so so that changes the context. So you've also got the ideas of mass communication and mass yeah. distribution and things which also change context in a way that might not have been the case mm. fifty, hundred years ago, whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean to say that you can fix on a way of doing things yeah. and say that's it, that's the right way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what is your average day like? I looked at that and I thought, well, I can't really answer an average day, because part of the reason why I actually like working in university in this sort of role yeah. is that you don't tend to have average days. Okay. So, I mean, I could, if, if I was wearing my faculty education director hat, mm -hmm. then an average day would probably involve quite a long committee meeting of some sort or another, yeah, yeah. which is a mixture of sometimes endlessly dull, mm -hmm. but also quite intriguing. And again, from the perspective of, of liking to learn about seeing yeah. people managing in action, is actually watching how decisions mm -hmm. don't or do get made or get made one yeah. week and then get unmade the following week because okay. of the different... Yeah perspective and the great sort of the way that you do move towards something is not a straight line path it's not an even path it's a meandering and particularly in a university which is still very collegiate uh, and bureaucratic yeah. Yeah, yeah but I guess so 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 I could be doing that or I could be chairing a committee mm -hmm. for the, in the faculty that mm -hmm. same day in which I'm having to sort of try yeah. and make sense of what the conversations are going and have agendas and things that we're trying to get to or I'm trying to get to and that's involved plus dealing with you know there's a student for some reason or other needs to have an extension that goes outside the period of study or they mm -hmm. want to suspend or there's a, an appeal or a, a complaint even mm -hmm. you know those sort of things that I deal with those yeah, on. Yeah. so those are all part of that part of the world mm -hmm. And that's got quite a separate world to it yeah, than yeah. a teaching day, <laughs> you know, where, well, I don't really get days of, uh, of teaching, but when I'm teaching, so say that undergraduate bit, then, then uh, preparing to teach, so yeah. that, try, and so regardless of the fact that I've taught it for years and years, doesn't stop me saying that, that I want to re go through the whole thing again each yeah. time before I work with it. Um, so there's the getting into my head what I'm what I'm teaching, and then there's the the, the interaction of teaching itself. Mm -hmm. um, classes, lectures, lectures, less interaction with quite mm. a few students. Much more difficult to get dialogue going. Um, but I try, and then the smaller class work where you get some really interesting conversations and discussions, and and yeah. yes, get a real buzz out of that, and get a real buzz out of watching students go from. Um, that place at the beginning of the course where they feel very uncertain with the mm. subject and, work, and gaining confidence and mm. gaining understanding and challenging me and and this sort of thing and I, I yeah really enjoy that and then a research day to me to research one of the it doesn't really matter whether it's at the front end where you're trying to understand the literature or or at the completion end. it's mostly the thing that really it's the enjoyment of having a puzzle you're trying to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the puzzle can be in I'm absorbing and this understanding, and 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 why do I feel there's something not quite answered here or a gap, and and, and what I'm looking for, or the puzzle of of working with data and how this data is is mm -hmm. is informing it or not, or what's it telling me, yeah, yeah. Uh, what am I getting from that, or the yeah. So, so that. Um, and yes, as I said earlier, I don't get enough of that at the moment. Mm. It's um, it, it's the consequence of having a big admin role, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and and that's a shame. And so when I suddenly get like now, I got some research days, but I the last research days I had were back before Christmas. Right. Yes. You've got and to so get back it actually it. takes an awful long time to get back into and where was I and what was I doing, and yeah, then you yeah. find out what you were doing has actually now been at least partially answered by this new piece of work you yeah, just seen. Yeah. So I got to rethink what I'm doing a bit. That's a that's it that's in a way a bit of a frustration. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Um what so what research are you 
working on? What what is your what is your area you're looking at? Do you have something quite specific? In so, well, the broadish thing is values in organisations. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the work I do with my old supervisor, Mark. Uh, and we we got an, a, an agenda which um, has been going on. And, um, I guess the first big question that we looked at is, what do we mean by organisational values? Mm-hmm. Because the literature uses the term without really defining it. Right, okay. And then if you look at the way that different researchers have operationalized organizational values. They're using, the way they're operationalizing has consequences in how they are defining it, even right. if they don't define it. Okay, yeah. So if you say, for example, the values of this organization, that organization, are what the, the top management team say they are, Yeah. that's a very different set of organizational values to the ones that might be embedded in practices. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, or that what members of the organization say they are yeah or members of the organization think they ought to be yeah yeah so yeah. you got these so anyway we worked up a theoretical piece of work from that and mm. and and that was quite fun to do and then out of that came a whole lot of other questions you're saying well what is relationship mm. we theorize that there's a relationship between these four values that we've sort of identified as being organizational values mm. what is the relationship so anyway, back into the literature and finding that, and then we can't find a, this was a, a bit of a shock in a way, we could not find a reliable way of exploring organisational values that oh. would be transferred, because uh, every piece of work we looked at yeah. had a, either one of these angles, we didn't clarify what it did, yeah, it was yeah. quite selective, and, and when it actually came down to well, what are you talking about, they yeah, didn't yeah. actually have, you know, <laughs> we started on a project five, four, five years ago, which mm. is still not finished. Oh, uh, and I don't know if it ever will be. <laughs> which is to begin to, first of all, understand the terminology mm-hmm. of organisational values because mm-hmm. people were tending to take from, in the psychology literature, personal values literature and things like yeah, that, yeah. taking all the terminology from that and dumping in organisations. But organisations don't talk the same language as we do as people. Yeah, yeah. And things. So there's a lot of overlap, but there are differences. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we actually began by saying, well, okay, what do people, organizations themselves say? So we did this big study where we looked at about uh, getting on for a thousand organizations mm-hmm. and what they put on their websites. So okay. it's a mix of private yeah, organizations, yeah. public sector organizations, not-for-profit charities yeah, and so yeah. on. What words do they use? What frames do they use? So yeah. we then pulled these all out, categorized them, mm. and then by doing some work with a whole bunch of people who, who basically use their frames of references to bundle them. And yeah. then we got these conglomerate bundles, as it were, yeah. to produce an, a map, a conglomerate map of, yeah. of how one value relates to another. Um, and that has then given us, and, 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 and it seems to be making a quite an influence, and people are using it as, as a way of being able to see there's quite good work in the psychology literature about mapping values, and yeah, this is yeah. the first piece of where you've actually tried something similar, okay, uh, but yeah. but a, um, a quantitative mapping of of organisational values. Oh, wow. And what we're currently working on then is having done this mapping of it, is then going back in to see how that works. Uh, how do organisations actually look when you map their values onto this map? The relationship between them. Yeah. So so. Just to give you an idea, some organisations very would pick a bunch of values that are very closely related to each other. Mm-hmm. They tend to be motherhood and apple pie values, for example, okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Some of them tend to have a, quite a spread, which means that there's quite a conflict in the values that they're promoting to create a tension, mm-hmm. either purposefully or accidentally, we don't know, but mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, different organisations will emphasise different parts of the maps, yeah. uh, and you get some lovely things. Which, uh, which banks emphasise things like integrity, of course, of course. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mining companies emphasise care for the environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Agree with Oil you, companies yeah. emphasise safety. Yeah. So what they're actually emphasising is what their biggest problem is. Yeah. Say we value our biggest problem, which is quite an interesting thing to explore yeah. itself. So they're valuing what they think people want them to value, I imagine, like or what yes. looks like they should value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So so we don't really understand fully why why they do that. Yeah. And um, part of it is just that's because it's legitimate yeah. to do so. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to, if you're a bank, you've yeah, got yeah. to say you have integrity. Yeah, yeah. Even though <laughs> 
in practice, we don't always see that. Yes. Um, oil companies, we've got to emphasize safety and care for the environment, even though, you know... Yeah, you don't necessarily see that. Yeah. And, so <laughs> um, and so you sort of see... The, and so that's, that's setting up just mm. a train. But also we're now trying to, I guess, model it into a way that we can use it in organizations mm-hmm. to help organizations think through what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, that's where we're going a little bit in a sort of impact Password is we're taking this and saying how can we actually make an impact in organisations? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, really so give you an idea. What that's really interesting. But but on you know the odd day here and there, that's not enough time. I yeah. can do that much more. When I've when I've stepped down from education director, I'll pick up that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favourite thing about management as a subject? Then? I've already said it. It's messy. It's messy. And it's yeah, it's messy. Okay. Um, it's complicated. It's complex. It's not simple. Mm. It's it's um, and so it's endless. And it draws from so many different things. It's so influenced. So yeah. you know, I've already talked about economics, psychology, mm. biology, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, engineering. You know, almost everything. Anthropology. Mm. You know, almost all the the the. the and physics, I guess, you'd get into there as well. You know, chaos and stuff like that is yeah, yeah. becoming quite an interesting concept in, in management. So it draws from lots of different places. Yeah. It's it's not its own discipline in the sense that it doesn't have strong disciplinary roots. Yeah, yeah. And so the purists won't like that. But I'm not a purist academic. <laughs> and I really quite like that, is that we, we yeah. in a way, we're not quite cherry-picking, but we're taking ideas and we're thinking it through in this context of, yeah. Is is how do we organise? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's the worst thing about it then? Um, I think part of it, again, already touched on. Part of the worst thing about it is the conceptions that, and I know mm-hmm. there's a question coming up there. Is is the idea that it looks different from what it is, and okay. it's got, and it's got sort of a bit of a bad name about it. Mm. Part of it, and, and related to that is, and again, I've been talking about it endlessly. Really, is that the notion that it is somehow controllable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, this sort of, a lot of the, the temptation amongst mm. theorists and driven by the desire for certainty in mm. the big, the people who've got the money to pay for the business schools course, and so on, yeah, yeah. Uh, means that there's this, you know, so I find that frustrating. Yeah. Marking large lots of it's always <laughs> that, that's the frustration in the job yeah, yeah. that you always get is that uh, it's not marking stuff can be delightful yeah but when you're under pressure to mark a very large pile of, of stuff course. which is all exactly the same yeah, it's not yeah. desirable so I've been lucky enough to design courseworks which mean that they're not all the same mm-hmm. but the pressure of marking you know if, yeah. if you could pace it out and, and and almost do it as a discussion rather than yeah. I have to mark this great wodge of stuff within the deadline that I've been yes yeah. that's always a you know, it's tiring really. yeah it's not imagine. such an attractive side of the job no no but I that will cut across everybody's job here yeah. I was gonna yeah. say I think if every if we could just remove deadlines teachers and students yeah. like I think we'd all be much happier yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah and we should think about how you could do that really in a yeah. way you know I think that, that was so Let's go on to misconceptions then, because you said you would already thought of a few. Yeah, number one, the biggest misconception is that it's easy. Okay. Um, I think that's what I'm going to put first, anyway. And 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 that's uh, so. When did I first really come across it? When we became a school of economics, finance, and management. So mm-hmm. when I joined the university, we were a small department of management, mm-hmm. and we were pulled into this big group to make it. And we were very aware Mm. that we were thought of by our colleagues as being doing some of this very simple, easy work compared with Mm. their much more serious and complicated work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has taken quite a long time to balance that. Um, And a lot of... We get that misconception quite often that it's easy and 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 that you could learn it just quite quickly okay um so one of the things that will happen increasingly over the next few years is is us doing joint work with other departments mm-hmm. around the university so it's a bit like the innovation thing you're yeah, on, yeah. is that uh, we got a new degree which will uh, come on stream for next year on health management okay yeah, yeah. jointly run with the uh, 
um, Faculty of Health Studies. Yeah. Uh, and so that's all the medics and so on. Yeah. And, um, and, and we have to go through an education process and yeah. say, we're not going to come and tell you that this is the 10 ways to manage a... Um, you know the ten steps to managing a mm-hmm. GP practice or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. What we're actually going to do is to make life very difficult and complicated for people who have lived with the certainty of medicine mm-hmm. to say that the uncertainty of organising. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and we're going to begin doing that and say, well, why can't we just have you know ten steps off? Yeah. Because. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just not. And that. and so so, but we are convincing people that what we actually have to do with this is is actually get people to understand and think mm. differently. One of one of the little gems of feedback that I got from an undergraduate student. She was a brilliant undergraduate student uh, studying economics and management. Mm-hmm. And she was one of my tutees, so so okay. I saw her over the three years of study. Yeah. And she, particularly when she got into doing more management subjects, she would she'd quite often come and talk to me about, this is what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to struggle with this idea, or whatever it is. I said, you need to read a bit more and have a look at this. And she'd growl at me and go away. Um, and that went on for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the course, she said, and I treasure this, she actually said, I'm so glad I studied economics and management because... Mm. Economics, once you've mastered the techniques, you can do economics. But management, it doesn't work like that. So management taught me how to think. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's brilliant. So that, that, you know, it wasn't just a mechanical thing. She had to learn how to think, and she took that away with her. And I expect she's doing wonderful things now. So to me, that's just absolutely brilliant. Um, a, A real expression of the fact that it's not as easy. It's yeah. a misconception to think of it is is it's easy. Yeah. And and the other misconception I guess that's related to that is put about by p- programs like The Apprentice, which right. is Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Because it gives this notion that actually to be uh, somebody is a manager or whatever mm. it is, you've got to be this <sighs> Yep. Uh, Awful human being. <laughs> totally, totally, totally awful human being uh, who's got an overinflated sense of themselves mm-hmm. and who thinks that you get things done by shouting louder and bossing about and yeah, doing yeah. Um, and, and that that is just so not the way it works. No. Um, and it may work to some extent in some aspects of a particularly nasty end of of a uh, this sort of commercial yeah. environment. And... and, and if you've worked in retailing, you probably have come across people who think that's the way yeah. it works, and they are bad managers. Yes, <laughs> very straight bad managers. Yeah. Um, whereas, so so so, and and part of that myth, I guess, is that is that all management should be like that. So my description earlier on about it being transported into the health service and targets mm. and things like that. Um, we are seeing much more managerialism going into different areas. Mm-hmm. It is. A consequence of financialization, everything mm-hmm. having to be turned into money one way yeah, or another, yeah, to concentrate whether you're a charity or whatever it is you've got to deal with it, yeah. and of a belief that that's the simple and straightforward answer to it. Yeah. yeah. So I teach another bit we do. We have a part-time program which is aimed at practicing managers, mm-hmm. and uh, they... It's a really nice program because basically only about 20, 25 students on the mm. program every year, roughly one-third private sector, one-third public sector, one-third not-for-profit sector. Okay. So you're mixing together people who who are looking at very different organisations and yeah. organisings. And one of the joys is actually seeing the cross-learning mm-hmm. that comes through. So at the beginning, you tend to get the sort of the, the managers from charitable organisations feeling that they're going to be absorbing an awful lot about how to learn from these people from the private sector who have been, you know, bigged up as being that's they know about leadership and management yeah, yeah, stuff. Of what you actually get is the gradual realisation that that everybody's got something to learn from everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, commercial managers have it relatively simple. Mm. They got their targets, their smart targets, mm. and that's all they've got to work with. Mm. And it's very clearly bottom line is what drives the whole thing. Yeah. If you're a public sector organisation, you've got multiple people you've got to try and serve. Mm-hmm. And they all want yeah. their piece and you've got to somehow balance up how you do these various different things in a 
a really quite complex way, and mm. some of them have got more power than others, but the ones who got power are going to react to the ones who got least power when those with yeah. the least power tend to get most, you know, so like health service not yeah. doing its job, waiting this get longer, then the people with power ministries of health and so on yeah. have to react to that and you're stuck in the middle. So you're balancing all these different stakeholder needs. So yeah. it's a very different form of managing. Yeah, yeah. And then typically we're seeing in charitable sectors is that they're called, they're increasingly what we refer to as hybrid organisations. Okay. In that in order to do the work they want to do, mm. for which they, you've got people who are absolutely passionate about the role that they are yeah, yeah. doing. Their main reason for being mm. is that they have to generate income. Yeah. And that yeah. income generation is all much more similar to the private sector stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got this strange organisation that has to be part like a private sector organisation yeah, to yeah. generate the income to do the ideal work that it wants to do. Yeah, yeah. Really complicated, difficult thing to manage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and lots of conflict in those organisations. Of course, yeah, yeah. So I find that really interesting to work with people who are working and, and, um, and, and I think if I was working in a business school I wouldn't see that group of people very much at no. all and I think it's really important. Yeah, uh, I, I do feel like you're saying about this the stereotype of people on The Apprentice, that's why I imagine people who attend business school are going to be Think like, that they're going to be... Yes, exactly. Yeah. So so we've had a debate with the university for many years, and it come to the fore in the last two years, where, um, you know, aren't you a business school? Mm. Well, because we don't want to be a business school. Yeah. You know, but that's not good enough. You've got to argue your case much more fine than that. Yeah. And... We we don't really want to be a management school, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, we'd like to be a school of organising, but or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But we also recognise pragmatically that the outside world needs to have some sort of idea of what we do. Yeah. And yeah, if you yeah. use a term that is completely new, then then you're giving yourself a real problem. Yeah. In terms of trying to to, to relate to that, yeah. and we need students and so on. So those are. Yeah. commercial hybridy bit that has yeah. to happen so um, but we are very firm about the idea of uh, and we uh, luckily the world is working to our advantage mm. in, in a couple of ways which is first that people are increasingly realizing that the way that we organize and use our and exploit the planet is not sustainable mm -hmm. yeah. so how we organize in the future is going to be very different to yeah. the way we organize them so there's lots of research going on in our school around new ways, different ways of organising, mm -hmm. alternative organisations, different organisations, and really interesting work going on that. Yeah, yeah. Drawing And Bristol is a brilliant place to do that from because there are lots of different examples so of different ways of organising. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and they don't manage in that sort of belief way. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's very different ways they manage them, so they're, they're managing yeah, yeah, yeah. in very different ways. And so there's an awful lot we can draw from that. But the other thing is that there are an awful lot of brilliant people who've been so pissed off by what business schools are trying to do and mm -hmm. feeding that big machine that we've actually developed in this three years of rapid growth. Yeah. We've got brilliant people coming in, absolutely world-class people coming yeah. in who are attracted by the fact that we are challenging. So yeah. we are positioning ourselves... I think, and the argument that, that the VC is getting all the time, I'm beginning to believe, I think, but we're them, is that we're leapfrogging from being behind this notion of the big business school growth. We're actually yeah. leapfrogging it and going into what's going to be where the future really needs yeah. to be. That's brilliant. Um, and that, again, from our perspective, um, positions things like employees, employee well-being, we're a big, big, big issue mm. in itself. But again, if you're top-down in your structures and your thinking and your yeah. approach and so on, then the life of an employee is, you know, and we're seeing this getting worse at the moment with gig economy mm. thinking and so on, which is losing an awful lot of the things that employees would have had in terms of their rights and, and, and so on, mm. and being able to be ill, not being able to take yeah. leave when they want to and so on. Um, so there's clearly work to go on yeah. in trying to get that. And we've got some really strong people who are working in the future of work That's and funny. looking at that. And, and um, So how do you keep up to date with what is changing? Do you attend conferences or subscribe to journals? Or do you, is it just from kind of doing your research? and Bits of everything. Yeah. Um, I 
again, I haven't been to a conference for a year or two now, a couple of years. And that's a fact that's associated with my lack of research time, so lack of papers to take to conference and so on. Um, But where I do, and also because I've actually got an associate research area that actually is developing, which I haven't mentioned anything about, is is much more a pedagogy research area sort of thing. So I'm doing some work in that, where we're getting quite a lot of internal uh, interaction and and learning things. But yes, I read, Mm -hmm. uh, I keep an eye on journals and what's coming through. Um, I try and pick up what's happening in my subject area, Mm. particularly through conversations with people through but other things as well so for example this year part of the one we had an uh, had a new tutor join me on the um course this undergraduate course so mm. we got four tutors working on it um and he started talking about uh some subject stuff which he was picking up and he'd been learning which mm-hmm. i wasn't really addressing in okay. so next year's lectures will have that in it much yeah, more embedded, yeah. we're bedded into the teaching because that's really relevant to do. Um, and students, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the intentional spin off, but it's been a spin off. What we do with the undergraduates is, is essentially we have a midterm test that mm-hmm. basically tests knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. of the subject matter, the core theory, the boring bits you have to do. Yeah, yeah. But somebody said the cutlery. I like the idea of the cutlery. You've got to get, <laughs> you know, you need it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not interesting in itself. But yeah, you need yeah. It. So we've got to do the cutlery bit so okay. that everybody can eat. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and, and, then, and then we basically set up a coursework as saying, study what you want to. Mm to these, you know, this is what you're trying to achieve in yeah, terms yeah. of learning outcomes. But whatever you want to do in this subject area, from whatever perspective, so you get people doing really quite interesting things, Ooh. very different um, pieces of work, which are driven by their own interests. Yeah. Um, and and that's, I find that absolutely magnificent. But I also learn from it. Yeah, um, and one of the things that came at the first year I did this was that I'd given a little bit in one of my lectures when we're talking about innovation, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, was um, disruption okay. and disruptive technologies. And I don't know if you studied that yet, but um, no, the idea of, of how some innovations can completely disrupt entire industries okay, and so yeah, on yeah. and then some of the theoretical thinking about how do they happen what happens and so mm-hmm. on and i put it in as a relatively small bit mm-hmm. but the number of students that picked on that topic area to go and investigate much further oh, wow. really struck me hang on and then of course hang on of course it's relevant yeah. in from a perspective of somebody who's 30 40 years younger than me it's a totally relevant way of seeing how because everything's disrupted yeah. everywhere yeah, yeah yeah and i'm not paying enough attention to this in what i'm teaching mm-hmm. so i was really quite pleased that i actually learned from my students what yeah, i should yeah. be teaching yeah of course oh that's really interesting so so yeah so so um that's how i that's another way i learn um brilliant that's yeah. really good what does innovation and entrepreneurship mean to you <laughs> just your definitions so Innovation. Um, I think the way I would think of innovation is is essentially putting together things in interestingly different ways mm-hmm. that then create something yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and I would be very specific about teaching this is that it's different from invention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, invention is is creating something that is is new. Mm-hmm. Inventing a news is whatever it is, but an, but innovations don't necessarily have to create something that's new. They just put together things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they need inventions to be able to create an innovation. So yeah. you can argue um, the origin of the first aeroplane was a combination yeah. of half a dozen key inventions that had been made over the previous fifty years or so yeah, yeah. coming together to create something that could then fly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But there was a wing technology, an engine technology, a, you know, all these sort of technologies had yeah. to be brought together yeah. uh, in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so so, an innovation is, is essentially that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then 
it may be exploited in some way or another by one organization or another yeah. and it and it and if it's going to work it's going to spread yeah 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 so innovations are going to catch on so yeah. they're going to somehow spread through populations yeah. uh, and whatever and become so that's my innovation idea okay. uh, um, entrepreneurship I guess an entrepreneur is particularly somebody who might see opportunities mm-hmm. and has the energy inspiration and whatever it is to make those opportunities into something different okay. yeah. I guess that's what an entrepreneur so you you get um, people saying I'm an entrepreneur when uh, they're not necessarily an entrepreneur they're mm-hmm. just they're, they're sort of I think it's slightly different from I have started my own business yeah 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 I'm with you yep <laughs> which is doing the same as everything else but I just have got a little particular niche I'm operating in yeah into how to say something um, so so uh, I, I suppose I'm being a bit hesitant in my thinking because uh, I've been introduced to some quite interesting ideas so I was chairing a PhD viva last week mm-hmm. when one of our students was presenting their work, which was around a slightly variation on entrepreneurship, which is okay. ecopreneurship. Okay. Hmm. And so he was explaining what ecopreneurship looked like. Yeah. And one of the things that he was being questioned on is, well, how does this differ from entrepreneurship? Yeah, yeah. And I think that his answer carried a number of different things, very specifically the eco part of it. So yeah, it yeah. is entrepreneurship within an eco context yeah, yeah. so it's concerned with ecology and sustainability mm-hmm. and so on but he said there was something very different which is that uh, eco he reckoned that ecopreneurs mm-hmm. would differ from entrepreneurs particularly in the sense of in a way generosity there's okay. they're looking for something that answers a bigger question rather yeah. than something that might be self-oriented yeah yeah so when Hunt keeps on telling us that he's an entrepreneur and that's why he should be prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he's referring to is that, uh, although there's some questions to exactly what he did do, but he might have created a business that has made him very rich. Right, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and therefore, that gives him the legitimacy to be a prime minister. Whereas an ecopreneur might create something that makes several people not necessarily financially richer, but but spread something and it spreads yeah. it more widely than just internally yeah yeah so so the term has got different yeah. angles depending where you look at it yeah yeah of course uh, okay. and then the, have you come across the entrepreneurship um, i have but i don't yeah. really understand the difference. and the idea of that's somebody who's embedded in a large organization yes, who does yeah. much the same as an entrepreneur but yeah. from within an organization yeah, so yeah. rather than creating a new organization you create something within like a an subsection or yeah okay yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes, and the, and the research was all done around um, Bristol people involved in food. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. how they were developing yeah, yeah. new ways of working with food in all, you know, in sustainable yeah, yeah. ways. And very much the bit that, that really picked up on the notion that it is shared was mm. because the student investigated not just the businesses, but how they interconnected mm. and how they, so how the, 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 the what you might call the, it's not quite supply chain, but it's a bit, you know, how one yeah. relate to another. Yeah, it's yeah. more than a chain. It's a supply network, I think. Yeah, of course. Works together. And found, very interestingly, and I think this is really useful for future thinking, mm. is that people in ecopreneurs mm. were pr- much more prepared to help each other in the network, mm. to sustain the whole network. Yeah. Uh, so they would give up what potentially would be their profit. Yeah. To enable the network to thrive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which feeds into a different way of thinking about how organisations work yeah. together than yeah. we are drilled into thinking at the moment. So yeah. it comes back to my earlier stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, you see that. Have you seen with um, Boston Tea Party because they they stopped using yes. disposable cups and they lost a lot of money. Yeah. But their manager released a statement saying, like, we knew that would happen, so yeah. we we took that into account. But yeah. we don't care you know what yeah, I mean like it's the price rather... worth paying for the yeah. work we're trying to do and what yeah. yes I agree and and again in my world of thinking way that that will be to the long-term benefit of both Boston yeah. Tea Party and everybody else yeah, really, yeah, yeah of course 
So it might they might take a short term hit, but in the longer term it would be better off. It's good for everyone, yeah, yeah not just the company. Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. Um well that's all my questions. So <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. um well thank you very much. Um and it was lovely talking to you. And I good. Will- I just realised there's some quite noisy seagulls getting all up in that recording, but that's okay. They just wanted to join in. Um, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learnt some stuff. I know I did. I'm sorry to all the management students who I assumed were just going to be like the idiots on The Apprentice. So apologies. Um, <laughs> let us know what you thought on Twitter at LWID underscore UOB. And yeah, keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye.